0: Just got off the phone with uh, Ron DeSantis because I asked him because we you know during the show, I'm like, did he, write, did he write his own speech? I think you asked me, did he write his own speech? And I I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Um, but I thought he did, because he he write he writes everything himself. He doesn't have a speechwriter. Um and I so I just asked him, is this one, Did you write it yourself? This is a unbelievable speech. Yeah. And he wrote, he said every word all him yeah we he said because i was with him the night before i left at probably about nine thirty. he said yeah he said i'll show you the uh i'll show you when we, my wife sent it in about ten thirty, uh and said put it in the prompter he's done unless you see any errors <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, no, it was a great speech and a great, I think, vision for the country, right? I, I mean, uh, that's why we talked about it today. It is somebody has got to articulate a new vision. Somebody has to say in the GOP, where are we going? Where are we going? And I think that's one of the things that the Freedom Caucus, and they're not doing a really good job at expressing this, but this is really what they are saying is we're not going there anymore. You keep doing the same thing and expecting different results or telling us it's going to be a different result. No, we need to be a constitutional republic. And uh, Chip Roy was going to be on with us today, but uh, apparently they're having a lot of meetings. (laughs) So we will we will get the word from him, hopefully, on tomorrow's. Uh, We also talk about the process of ballot harvesting.
1: It's a negative term. I don't think it's a good process, but it's also not illegal in most places.
0: What do you do about that? How do you deal with ballot harvesting in future elections? And the uh, kind of mysterious, darker stuff that is happening at the Vatican. There is a split in the Vatican, kind of the deep Vatican state, if you will, Um, but the former Pope who just died and the current Pope, they both are talking about evil in the Vatican, but I have a feeling they are kind of talking about each other or their allies. It's fascinating. You'll hear about that on today's podcast.
1: You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program.
0: This is the Glenbeck program. I'm glad you're here. Monday, I uh, flew to Florida and um, had dinner with uh, the DeSantis uh, couple, First Lady and, uh, and Governor DeSantis. And um, you know what? I, I was really impressed by him in this way. Neither one of them sucked up to me. And and when you're sitting, you know, I walk into this room, there are 500 people there and I'm coming with my son because I, you know, my wife is like, what am I going to go and sit around with a bunch of people that I don't know and have really nothing in common with? And really? No. And I'm like, "Okay, honey, thank you. And uh, (laughs) so I brought my son. And when I sat down, I said, well, let's see who we're sitting next to. And I go around the table, because I'm one of the first in the room, and I go around the table, and I look at all of the name tags, and it's Jonathan Sachs, who I was so excited, so excited for him. And I didn't have my glasses on, and I said, Rafe, who is sitting next to me here? Because it just looked like a long hyphenated name, as I couldn't see it without my glasses. And he said, Florida Governor (laughs) Ron DeSantis. And I said, oh. Oh. The guy sat down and never tried to suck up, never said, I'm a big fan. None of it. None of it. Mm. I felt like, and this is a good thing, I felt like I was at line in, in a line at a grocery store, and I happened to be in front of him or behind him, and he turned around and said, hey, what's happening? I don't know. How's your day been? I mean, it was like that. Mm. Um, I brought it to politics, um, and he was like not impressed. He was he is (laughs) shares that with so many Americans not impressed by you. Yeah, no, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I I don't mean it by me. I mean, it was he was just he just didn't feel like a politician Hmm. and he felt comfortable. Like, I don't care what you say about me. I really I really don't. And I liked that. Then I sat and watched him take the oath of office. And he was using the Bible of the revolution from my vault, which I. Brought as a surprise to him and said, I got the Lincoln Bible and I have one, you know, from the Washington era, the Revolutionary Bible. And he picked the Revolution Bible. And uh, so he was being sworn in. And then he got up and gave his speech. GOP, listen carefully, because this is everything you need to know and do. He said, freedom lives here in our great sunshine state of Florida. It lives. The, the GOP does not believe this. Good politicians that are serving us do believe this. It lives in the courage of those who patrol the streets and keep our community safe. It lives in the industry of those who work long hours to earn a living and raise their families. It lives in the dedication of those who teach our children it lives in the determination of those who grow our food. It lives in the wisdom of our senior citizens. It lives in the dreams of the historic numbers of families who have moved from thousands of miles away because they saw Florida as the land of liberty and the land of sanity. Whoa, well, what does that tell you, GOP? The guy won by 19 points. What? is he doing listen over the past few years as so many states in our country grinded their citizens down we in florida lifted our people up now wait a minute i thought he was a big hate monger no he's not giving you stuff in return for power he's letting you do it because he believes in you When other states consigned their people's freedom to the dustbin, Florida stood strongly as freedom's linchpin. Okay, there's the first thing. Stop violating our rights. When the world lost its mind, when common sense suddenly became an uncommon virtue, Florida was a refuge of sanity, a citadel of freedom for our fellow Americans and even for people around the world. So what does that tell you? Step number two, stop the insanity. There are two genders. If you want to be one happy little pony, you can be one happy little pony. But that doesn't change the eternal truth that there are only two genders. You can do whatever you want on your own time, but don't try to teach my children lies, period. When the world lost its mind... Uh, that people came to florida in captaining the ship of state we choose to navigate the boisterous sea of liberty than cower in the calm docks of despotism that's one of my favorite lines that is so great navigate the boisterous sea of liberty in other words it's a storm, man. Some of us are going to be hanging on for dear life. Some of us are going to be leaning over the rail, or the rail, barfing our heads off. But I'd rather be there and free than kept safe by some big state that tells me exactly what to do. That would be item number three, GOP. You should do. Um, we face attacks. We take hits. But we weather the storms. We stand our ground and we do what is right. That's why the Freedom Caucus is good. There's no one with a spine anymore. We need people with a spine. And when they stand up against all odds to do your work. And that work should be, I don't mean the GOP. I don't mean the people who voted for them. I mean Americans, which, by the way, in the sea of insanity, uh, what was it, Stanford or Princeton said uh, yesterday that Americans is a divisive word and we should stop using it. Americans. Your work, Americans, not independents, not Republicans, not Democrats, Americans is to make sure people remain free. And here they are standing up with a spine, taking the hits, but standing their ground. He goes on, as the book of Psalms reminds us, "I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. We have refused to use poles and put our finger in the wind, because leaders do not follow, they lead. That's another thing, GOP. Do you notice he doesn't grandstand? He doesn't say, oh, you know what they're going to do? We're going to take all that money one of these days from BlackRock. Where you? But you watch. We're going to do it. And then they never do it. Instead, you're like, why isn't he doing anything with BlackRock? And the next day he's on TV going, yeah, I just want you to know I just signed this order. We just passed it. And uh, all that money to BlackRock, that's gone. He doesn't threaten He doesn't boast. Really, he's unimpressed with all of it. There's another thing, GOP. Stop telling us what you're going to do because you're lying to us. And when honest people go to Washington and they say, we're going to stand for this, of course you're tearing them down. You can't have them win. You can't have somebody standing because once other people notice, wait a minute, these guys are standing for basic principles. What the hell is, what's my guy doing? You're all in trouble. He said, we've articulated a vision for a free and prosperous state. Have you heard the GOP do that? Have they articulated a vision for a free and prosperous America? Because I haven't heard it. What I hear is, we're not the Democrats. We have, through persistence and hard work, executed that vision. We have produced favorable results. We're here today because the people of Florida, not the government, the people of Florida, have validated our efforts in record fashion. Florida shows results matter. We lead not by mere words, but by deeds. Amen. Four years ago, we promised to pursue a bold agenda, and we did that, and we've produced results. Florida is taxed lightly, regulated reasonably, and spent conservatively. Which member of the GOP doesn't think we should tax lightly, regulate reasonably, and spend conservatively besides those in Washington? We promised we would enact big education reforms, and we delivered. He has. I'd like to see the GOP say, we're going to abolish the Department of Ed. We said we would end judicial activism by appointing jurists to understand the proper role of a judge is to apply the law as written, not legislate from the bench. And we delivered. We promised to usher in a new era of stewardship of Florida's natural resources by promoting water quality in the Everglades, Everglades restoration efforts. And we delivered. We said we would stand for law and order and support the men and women of law enforcement. And we delivered. We promised to remedy deficiencies in Florida's election administration administration and to hold wayward officials accountable and we delivered. Where is anyone in the GOP saying that? And that's got to be at the state level. Are they doing that in your state? We said we would support the areas of Northwest Florida stricken in Hurricane Michael, and we delivered. And when Hurricane Ian came last year, the state coordinated a massive mobilization of response personnel, facilitated the fastest power restoration on record, and even quickly rebuilt key bridges that had been wiped out by the storm. We've stood by the people of Southwest Florida and will continue to do so in the weeks, months and years ahead. Do you remember all of those interviews DeSantis did during the hurricane where he was standing in front of the water where they were rebuilding the bridge and he was like, I've instructed them. Yeah, I don't remember those either. Because again, GOP, he doesn't need to talk about it. People who actually do the right thing is so breathtaking to America That the word gets out. Everybody's like, did you hear what happened in Florida with the bridge? Did Did you see how fast they did that? You don't have to tout it. It's so breathtaking and spectacular when somebody just does their job. You don't need to be on all the talk shows. Because of these and other efforts, Florida is leading the nation. Wouldn't you like to hear this from the GOP? We're number one uh, in the United States in net Im- uh, immigration. Um, in other words, more people are coming into Florida than leaving. We're number one fastest growing state. Number one in new business formations. Number one in tourism, economic freedom, education, freedom, parental involvement in education. We're number one. Number one in public higher education. That's a record we can be proud of. He then goes on to say, we have to ensure our school systems are responsive to parents and students, not partisan interest groups. There you go, GOP. We must ensure our institutions of higher learning are focused on academic excellence and the pursuit of truth, not the imposition of trendy ideology. Florida must be a great place to raise a family. We will enact more family-friendly policies to make it easier to raise children, and we will defend our children against those who seek to rob them of their innocence. We're a law and order state. We'll conserve and treasure our natural resources. This is the winning plan. You don't need a think tank. Google Ron DeSantis Inaugural Speech 2022. And it's all there. All there. Just do that. And let's watch what happens. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. All right, so uh, let me... Let me start here. Let me start at Christmas. Pope Francis made a dire warning to the, the Curia, the cardinals and everybody else in the Vatican, warning them to be ever vigilant of demons lurking in the Vatican. Now, this was part of his Christmas address, which apparently he has turned into uh, uh, an annual airing of grievances Someplace in his Christmas address, he will put some things where he's, you know, kind of upset about inside the Vatican. He'll bury that in the Christmas address. So they've adopted part of Festivus into uh, the Vatican's Christmas
1: uh, Festivus. Yeah. From, uh, of course, the George Costanza's
0: uh, (laughs) holiday. Right, They had the airing of grievances as part of it. That's right. Well, that's kind of what it is. Wow. That's kind of what it is. Hmm. So he said, you have to be ever vigilant of demons lurking in the Vatican. Now, he he couched this and you can read it this way. And this is probably what he meant. But listen to the whole story. He said, we could easily fall into the temptation of thinking we're safe, better than others, no longer in the need of conversion. Um, But there is an elegant demon who does not make a loud entrance, but comes with flowers in his hand. So he says this elegant demon is now lurking among the Vatican staff. Okay, so is that just something that he's like, hey, you know, everybody's human and we should just be careful, ever vigilant? Could be, could be. Find it really interesting that he's using those words. Because I want to add something on top of that. Uh, Pope Benedict, who just died, his longtime personal secretary— has written a tell-all book that his publisher promised would tell the truth about dark maneuvers, mysteries, and scandals that sullied the reputation of Pope Benedict. Dark maneuvers. Hmm. This is a guy who stood by Benedict for uh, three decades, Uh, He worked with him when he was just, um, you know, father. What was his name? Ratzinger. Um, Then he was his personal secretary. Uh, He went became the pope's secretary. And then when Benedict suddenly left, which was extraordinarily odd. First time in what? 600 years. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's extraordinarily odd. And the story has been that. You know, he fell and, you know, he was like, I, I don't think I can do this job anymore. And that may be true, but was there anything else that was going on? This book is promising to say, yeah, there were some dark maneuvers going on. I want to add a personal story before I go into part three of this. Um, I was at the Vatican. I've gone. Twice. What was the last one? 2011. Do you remember? I don't. It's a while ago. though. It's when they appointed when Ratzinger was the pope and uh, he had appointed a bunch of cardinals. Dolan was one of the cardinals that was being sworn in. And we were there and I talked to Dolan and I talked to many of the cardinals and I was supposed to meet with the pope at that time. And it fell through at the last minute. But I was I was hanging out with all these cardinals. And I think they were the good cardinals. I mean, you know, they, everybody has their own personality and everything else. But these guys were they were like Mother Teresa, you know, St. Francis. They were the they were the poorer ones and from the poorer countries. And they were just all about service. And um, we took a. Um, I had so many incredible life-changing experiences there that just opened my eyes to so much. And one night it was before the Cardinals were, I don't know. Cardinaling, Cardinaling. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it was called, Mm -hmm. but anyway, it was the night before and I'm in this room with all of the Cardinals. Okay. And there's just a few people that aren't wearing these, these red robes. And, uh, And Tanya and I are standing there and we're standing talking to these cardinals. And this one guy who was really our host that night, he was just, you know, when you meet people and you could feel the spirit on them and the kindness and everything else, you just know when you're in the presence of somebody who's really connected to the spirit. And um, and he said to me at the time, he said, uh, you know why this is happening. And he meant why so many cardinals were being called. And I said, no. And he said, there's a war inside the Vatican. And he said, I believe that it's a war of good and evil. He said, but uh, there is a real war because there are many political aspects. And basically what he described to me was deep state. There was the deep state of the Vatican that was going to do. It didn't matter what a pope even thought And he alluded to the fact that Ratzinger or Benedict, Pope Benedict, knew this and was doing basically what Donald Trump did with the Supreme Court. He was appointing all these cardinals because he wanted to stack the deck because, in his words, he didn't feel he had very much longer that he could fight. Um, And I just thought maybe he's sick at the time, but it was like a year later that he retired um, and, uh, and so he said, um, you know, he's stacking the deck. He's trying to make sure that after he's gone, there's enough to hold back the, uh, onslaught. And, um, he said, and it's, it's real evil. And so we were just talking about it and we're in this room, someplace in Rome, we're in this room that it was enormous. It, the, the, it was a ballroom. You know, from, I don't know, a thousand years ago. And it had a map of the world that was like two stories and a football field long. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was like a movie. It, like if you were a supervillain, you'd have a desk in the center of this room. You know what I mean? And you'd have one light at the desk and the bad guy would be sitting behind it. And the camera would just show him and the whole map of the world. It was like that kind of a room. Uh, it was beautiful. And... um And so we're standing there and I'm just listening to what he's saying. And this guy comes in and he was, he was one of the Cardinals and I don't want to identify um, his role, but he was very, very high up and uh, man, he walked in and he walked in with all these suits, all these politicians. And the guy said, that guy's the mayor. This guy is a, You know, uh, I don't know, finance minister, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I said, man, the room got chilly. And because I just felt like this is not a good guy. When he came in, he was like, you could feel it as much as I could feel the good on one guy, this guy. And he said, oh, oh, yeah, he's there. There's there's that's the beginning. There's the head. And uh, he said, you want to meet him? And I'm like, no, I don't want to meet him. Uh, and he said, you, you should. And so my wife looked at me like, why, why, why would we want to meet him? And so he came up and what the Cardinal was doing was you just judge for yourself. Just say hello. This was the spookiest guy I've ever met. I I don't remember the conversation. I just remember thinking I want to stop talking to him and go way away from him. Um, there is a war. And I don't think I'm not saying this to, you know, bash the Catholics or, you know, have you question your faith if you're a Catholic or anything like that. Pray for the people who are in leadership positions. What's happening in Washington is happening in all of our churches. It The evil has taken a foothold and there are good guys inside fighting. I'm. I'm, I want to get the, uh, the guy who wrote this tell-all book uh, to be on, and we're, we're looking at a, another cardinal that we could get on that might be able to tell us some of the inside things that are going on that has been a little frank about some of these things. But the last thing I want to bring to your attention is uh, when Pope Benedict was a cardinal— Um, He had uh, a lot of friends and they were other cardinals. And when they released the final secret, the third secret of Fatima, which if you're not Catholic, it's it's just uh, a message from heaven uh, given to these um, these kids, you know, right before World War One. And it said there is a huge Russia is the problem. It's going to spread its error. Throughout the world, unless her heart is changed um, and they she, there's going to be a, a world war coming soon. And then there will be a second world war and then a final battle. Um, and, it, you know, it, it happened years before World War One and World War Two, obviously. And then there was the third one, the third secret, if you will, about what sets up the final battle. They released this and it was kind of like, uh, okay, that's old news. Ratzinger, who is Pope Benedict, said, and this has just been uh, published, that um, Pope Benedict said the third secret has not been revealed in its entirety because the pope and uh, all those involved uh, would not allow it to be released. Or if he was the pope, I can't remember which it was, but. But the but the power did not want to release it because it talks about a bad council and a bad mass and evil at the top and highest levels of the church. And that's the warning that was given to them uh, in, you know, like 1910. And it 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 leads to the end of days. So I found it interesting that for anybody who believes in any of these kinds of, of things and if you believe in evil i find it interesting that the current pope is talking about evil the last pope is talking about evil but i think they're kind of pointing at each other a little bit you know i don't think they're on the same side i think they're both using evil but i think I think they're not talking about the same evil and aren't Mm. fighting the same evil. And then to have this Fatima secret come out now, according to sources, it is from uh, the Pope that just died. I find it fascinating. And to be clear, you're saying the book that is coming out is a tell all book. Basically about Benedict and what was going on and saying that he was not the guy everybody because they called him, you know, God's Rottweiler. He went through a lot, you know, with the press. But also this book is saying there were internal things that were going on that I can tell you when he was the pope, I heard at the Vatican that he was fighting real evil and there was a battle inside. It was like the deep state. And this book was, you think, intentionally withheld until until after he passed. Until he died. I think this book was – I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But as I read it, he was so close. You don't write a book overnight. He just right. died. Right, right. Um, so he's this been writing it go. for months. Yeah. And this guy worked at his side his whole time. He's the guy who gave him last rites, uh, called – pope francis and say he's dead i mean he was the guy with him all the time i would bet you that it was written with benedict Mm. could be wrong but uh there there might be some very interesting things that come out of this book you're listening to the best of the glenn beck program Scott Pressler is with us now, uh, and uh, uh, we were having a uh, conversation. Um, gosh, a while back, he was on. I think we were talking about uh, cleanup day in Baltimore, and he was he was part of that. Um, he is joining us now to talk about ballot legal ballot harvesting. How you doing, Scott? Thank you so much for having me. Good morning. You bet. So you are. I Love this. You're an Eagle Scout, aren't you? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> I think I remember that from. Oh, we're going to clean up. Uh, we're going to clean up Baltimore. Okay, try not to get stabbed to death. Um, but uh, now you're on to legal ballot harvesting. Harvesting. Tell me uh, what it is, where it's legal, what the difference between legal and legal is, and why it's important.
1: Well, first, if I may, I want to explain why we're going to engage in legal ballot harvesting. And we saw this in Arizona. We saw this in Harris County, Texas, that, you know, 30 percent of Republican voters are going to vote early or do mail-in. But the strong majority, 70 percent, are going to wait until Election Day. And we saw in Arizona that by waiting for that one day to vote, it only took one day of tabulation errors and machine errors. And in Harris County, we had polling locations that ran out of paper ballots as early as 7.30 a.m. on Election Day. And wow. so my argument. Was I everyone
0: mean, <laughs> you wouldn't expect more than, I don't know, 150 people to come and vote. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. It wasn't just negligence, in my
1: opinion. Right. And therefore, my argument to the American people is, look, we cannot simply wait for Election Day because there are now months of early voting. I mean, literally, in my Commonwealth of Virginia, we have 45 days of early voting. So that means that we must encourage early in-person, early voting, mail-in voting, Election Day voting and where it is legal Engage in ballot harvesting.
0: So, explain, because I know you're writing a manual on this, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Explain what ballot harvesting means.
1: Sure. So, ballot harvesting just refers to the practice of somebody else returning a ballot on behalf of a voter. So, ballot harvesting could mean My turning in my mom's absentee ballot for her because she's either disabled or sick or out of the country, Mm -hmm. whatever the reason may be, that's ballot harvesting. And I really want to uh, differentiate because when people think about harvesting, they probably think of like, oh, one person is turning in a thousand ballots. Certainly that is ballot harvesting. But I want to say that each of us could actually become a ballot harvester by even doing one ballot. I mean, that can double the amount of Republicans that are actually engaging in elections if each of us do legal ballot harvesting. And here's an example in Oregon. I just got off the phone with
0: Oregon, and I will be visiting soon, by the way. Oh, sorry for for
1: that. Hey, we got to bring the fight to even the blue. Oh, I know,
0: I know, I know. And half that state is red, red, red.
1: Exactly. It's only these cities that control them. But we're going to change that. And in Oregon, you can create your own unofficial Dropbox locations. So, literally, I could have a house party, I could have a Dropbox location at a gun shop, a gun show, a church. If President Trump or Governor Ron DeSantis came and did a rally, I could set up a Dropbox location and have every Trumper and Republican turn in their ballot at the rally and then give them information on how to chase ballots for other people. And it was the successes of California, where we did legal ballot harvesting, New York, where we did legal ballot harvesting, and the state of Florida That is the reason why we have a Republican narrow majority today. So I am writing about harvesting manual. I predict that I'll be done within the next two weeks and I'm going to start making this available to conservatives across the country so they know the rules. They know the regulations, and we're going to play the same game the Democrats are have done in order to elect Republicans going into
0: 2023 and 2024. This is what's so frustrating, because I, I don't want to do anything illegal. Uh, I want to make sure that every valid ballot uh, is counted uh, yeah. and is accounted for. Uh, but we are not even doing the things you're allowed to do um that are legal to do we don't we just we let them master things um and then they always take it into the dirt but if we even want to be competitive we have to do everything that is legal to do because they are just outmaneuvering us
1: well and i'd like to expand upon that as well because for example In the state of Colorado, any person, you don't even have to be a citizen, I can turn in up to 10 absentee ballots in the state of Colorado. But here's the kicker. In Wyoming, there are no laws or statutes that prohibit ballot harvesting whatsoever. Wyoming is one of the bloodiest of red states. So, therefore... Here, Here's the methodology or the thinking that we have to have going forward. We, as Republicans, are going to engage in legal ballot harvesting where it is applicable, and in states that we control the governorship and the legislatures, we should move to ban ha- ballot harvesting in those states. So, for example, why is it not banned in North Dakota or South Dakota or Wyoming or et cetera? There's only one state in the entire country that does not allow for ballot harvesting, and that's Alabama. And I think that's Holy inex- cow!
0: I thought I, this was I didn't realize that it was legal everywhere. So w- define illegal ballot harvesting.
1: Well, it's, it's actually very nebulous and ambiguous. I'm not going to name names because I don't do that. But I called an elections office in a blue state. And I asked <laughs> Are there any laws or statutes that prohibit another person from turning in a ballot for somebody else? And the only answer I got was the voter has to be the one that signs the ballot. And I said, well, you know, could I mail in the ballot for somebody on their behalf? And the answer I got was, well, we're not going to know who mailed in a ballot regardless. And I don't like that answer. I don't like that don't answer like that. at all. There's no chain of custody, and it's so ambiguous, and there are so many loopholes in reading all the laws that the majority of these laws don't even uh, talk about drop boxes. And so I think there's a lot of room that we can use these laws to our advantage. And again, I'm not doing anything. Uh, illegal. This is all going to be by the book and making sure that where things are prohibited, we will not engage. And where things are legal, we will engage.
0: Yeah, we we have to engage where we can. I would love for it to be day only show up at the ballot box voting. I would love that. But that's not where we are. Uh, I would love no drop boxes. I think those are a nightmare. You have to put the ballot in if it's a three-week thing, you have to show up. You have to be the one that put it in. But that's not we're dealing with. So if that's not the law, then we must engage in what everything that is legal to do.
1: Absolutely. Well and look at Pennsylvania for example. One last reason why we must do early voting is by the time that Fetterman and Dr. Oz had their first and only date 500,000 Pennsylvanians had already voted, and four out of those five voters were Democratic voters. So they were already banking votes while the majority of Republicans were waiting. And the last thing that I want to say, Glenn, is despite what happens with the RNC vote on January 27th, I am going to be working with a pact to create an infrastructure for absentee voting and early voting that's going to engage in states like Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, all of the swings to make sure that the GOP, if they don't have an infrastructure, that we will have one outside of the Good. Republican Party to ensure the job gets
0: done. Good. I have to, I have to tell you, this, this is why you, yeah, you make your kid become an eagle. Uh, An Eagle Scout. This is this is what you get out of it in the end. Somebody who will actually get it done and do it right. So, uh, Scott, please send me a copy of the book. We'll have you on. Is it is it possible then that where where your state is voting and you can have a drop box that we could all have like a Tupperware party? Or a, uh, I could do like a, I don't know, we could do a special show that is only on that night and uh, you get special ac- access if you have a party at your house and they fill them all out and that group can take those then and turn them in. Is, is that possible? Is that legal? Absolutely. There,
1: there are some are states that. that we're going to have to kind of figure that out.
0: But let me tell you, Nevada, Oregon, New York, California. Yes, we can have those Tupperware parties. Well, then we're we're going to. Then I strongly advise, if you're not moving, then just just have a Tupperware party. You know what I'm saying? Find all the You know who they are. In New York, there's like five conservatives. So you know who they are. Um, But uh, uh, thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate it. And we will be in touch, Please. Keep us informed along the way, so we can help. I will, and you will be getting a signed copy of the ballot harvest. That's what I was looking for. That's what I was hoping for. Thank (laughs) you, Scott. I appreciate it. Um, That's Scott Pressler, Uh, and again, I, I nothing illegal. I want transparency, but as long as things remain on the books. We have got to beat them at their own game when it comes to legal votes. Uh, have to do it all. Have to do it all. Na, 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 na.